Hey folks, this is Always Be Watching. It's our regular discussion about the TV shows, what we've been watching. My name's Dan Barrett, and I'll be joined as always by Chris Yates. Now, this week we're doing something a little bit different on the show. Usually we do talk about the shows that we've been watching, and we'll do a little bit of that this week. But we really want to focus maybe on a single issue subject, and boy, doesn't that usually excite people when they hear that. <laughs> but we'll be talking about maybe one of the biggest issues that I think is confronting, uh, basically, I think, sort of most media consumers right now. Chris Yates, Chevy Chase. What's your favorite Chevy Chase film? Caddyshack 1. Caddyshack 1. <sighs> Look, I, I can't find that at all. I'm a Fletch man through and through. But now that we've established our correct opinion and your wrong opinion, let's maybe move on to sure. the other big subject that we can discuss this week, which is cop shows. So there's a lot of discussion about the role of the cop show in 2020 moving forward. And really, have we been misrepresenting uh, police for the last, I don't know, however long there's been moving images we're going to discuss that as we start to think about the cop show, what it means to have a TV show focused around the police, what it actually, like, why do we watch cop shows to begin with? Big questions. We're going to focus on them all on this week's Always Be Watching. Hey folks, you are listening to Always Be Watching. It's our podcast where we talk about the shows that we watch. Chris, we're going to talk about all the shows that we've been watching for the last, you know, all of our lives. Cop shows. Do you like the genre? And first, sorry, how are you? Are you well? I'm, I'm well. I'm very good. Uh, yes, I've had a lot of coffee this morning, so I might talk a bit fast and then get a bit... Uh tangential and uh, need to be pulled back into line but that's your job how are you doing today look i'm doing fine i don't generally drink coffee and yet i still talk way too fast so you know pull me into line when <laughs> at least i'll probably catch up with you yeah yeah this might actually sort of balance this out a little bit but yeah chris uh cop shows obviously there's been a lot of uh movement and because when we're talking about tv uh culture like a lot of it comes from the us so we can't really avoid that so when a conversation around TV and film comes from the US and is such a big part of the cultural conversation, that's going to flow this way and it's kind of hard to ignore the big subjects like that coming out. Absolutely. And I mean, it's certainly, there's been a big history of uh, popular cop shows in Australia dating back to the earliest kind of television drama that we've had in our country. So even though we're probably not going to talk heaps about a lot of the Australian ones, that's it's definitely a big part of our uh, television landscape as well. I mean, it's a big part of every television landscape, really. And the thing is that, look, the conversation at the moment is, you know, hashtag abolish the police. And the sort of subsequent conversation that's flowed on from that is this chatter about cop shows that have had a negative impact. So there's broadly that conversation happening around the place, but I noticed that it really sort of became, um, folk, like there was a focal point really on there's a comedian named Tom Sharpling he wrote a, it was actually just a tweet that he put out saying, hey, look, I used to write for the TV show Monk. Uh, if you remember Monk, that was the Tony Shalhoub sort of lighthearted police detective show. He said, hey, look, I used to write for this show. I feel that I've actually sort of been fairly detrimental to society at large because by portraying this cop show in a very sort of light, jovial manner, I feel that I've misrepresented police. And so therefore I want to donate, I think, I can't remember how much money he was donating initially, to Act Blue, which was a charity in the US that was there supporting something police related. I can't remember exactly what it was. It was uh, essentially, I think, sort of uh, people who've had issues with the police and providing them some legal recompense, I think sure. is the general sort of approach to that charity. 
I'm not quite sure I'd actually read into the charity so much. But as a result of that, a whole bunch of other people who were in cop shows have said, hey, look, I was also in a cop show. I'm going to donate, you know, a certain amount of money. So one of the first ones was the guy that played Arthur in the TV show The Tick. And his name's just dropped out of my mind. But basically he came out and said, hey, look, I was in a couple of episodes of uh, the uh, series Blue Bloods. I played a cop in two episodes. I still get $11,000 in residual checks every so often. So I'm going to donate $11,000 to the charity. And then one by wow. one, a whole bunch of celebrities also started donating money through. And this really sort of, I guess, maybe stirred that conversation about should there actually be a sense of um, guilt associated with representation of police over the years? And also, like, is there a problem with the way that police are represented? Now, Chris, I'm going to... Well, let's start with you. Like, I know that you are very passionate about this as a subject. Yeah, well, so I've been around uh, punk rock crowds and anarchist crowds since my early 20s. So the whole idea of um, defunding police and, and all that kind of thing is certainly not new for, for those kind of conversations and in those scenes. But this is definitely the first time I've ever seen it come to such a mainstream level of people chatting about it. I, I even think back to sort of many, you know, especially in Australia, like the um, Indigenous deaths in custody and just regular atrocities that we witness um, don't tend to make much traction beyond the kind of uh, fringe media outlets that always report this stuff uh, seemingly in vain. And um, there's always a bit of conversation there around reform and that kind of thing. But I've certainly, I've ne you know, it's very rare that even that bleeds through to the mainstream. So to see a lot of this stuff picking up there is really interesting. Um, I, I can't remember a time ever where we've had these sort of conversations. Like there's regularly been times about, you know, better better oversight of police, you know, police being held more accountable for their stuff. But this whole idea of rethinking um, police from the ground up is really interesting. And it also uh, has, you know, really changed the way that I think I'm looking back on a lot of these uh, television shows that we've definitely, you know, been, been fond of and really thinking about the way that those uh, those programs and that information is used as propaganda to um, both, you know, to empower the police, the police, the idea of policing um, and as good guys versus bad guys and how we, you know, have made heroes out of rogue cops um, in, in films and, and just, uh, yeah, it's absolutely fascinating. So to see a lot of these ideas that I've only ever heard talked about by kind of rabble rousers and um, quite extreme people, uh, bleeding into the mainstream is something I never thought I would see, especially to the point where it's impacting on, you know, entertainment. Yeah, no, that's exactly it. So, I mean, this is, you know, alternative ideas that have gone mainstream, which is kind of exciting to, like, realise there's this level of discourse happening into what's effectively one of TV's sort of oldest traditions. So, I mean, if you think totally. about movies and TV, like, for almost as long as the mediums have existed, cop shows have been a core part of it. And the reason for that is largely because there's just some fundamental, like, easy aspects about the genre that makes for exciting storytelling. Uh, it's a good storytelling engine to begin with, so it allows for a flow of stories to realistically enter characters' lives. Um, there's the fundamental, like, just base level of, you know, good guys versus bad guys, good versus evil. Like, these are core themes with a lot of storytelling, and cop shows sort of totally. provide a venue for that. And what I actually kind of like about it is, is that a storyline which involves cops, like, you know, dealing with whatever the story of the week happens to be, it actually provides a sense of realism to an ongoing story-generating uh, uh, machine that television really is. So if you think about the idea of, and let's just think about our favourite TV show of all time, 
murder she wrote. Uh, it's kind of unrealistic to think about the same crime novelist constantly just coming across murders that happen to be taking place around her all the time. But if you're a police, like, that's something that actually really happens. So it makes sense for a police detective to explore that in the way that a kindly old writer, not necessarily quite the case. So, you know, you don't have to bend reality so much to be able to facilitate the idea of exploring these little morality plays. Murder, She Wrote makes a lot more sense when you start to think about Jessica Fletcher as the uh, key murderer involved in every episode. Look, here's the thing. There's no evidence to support that that was actually the case. <laughs> okay, and I won't hear a word against Ms. Fletcher. These, these scurrilous accusations have been surrounding her for years now, and I'm just not going to stand for it anymore. I'm taking a stand for it. I'm taking a knee for Jessica Fletcher. <laughs> the, um, oh, that's just hideously inappropriate. The, um, the interesting thing, though, that we can, we can start talking about there, I mean, there's so much to talk about here. We could really just, I think you could do a whole series dedicated to this stuff, and I'm sure somebody probably will. But one of the things that um, we started talking about, I guess, um, which Jessica Fletcher and Murder, She Wrote leads nicely into is the idea of, you know, the cops that are the supporting characters in sitcoms and in other kinds of shows like this um, who are often lovable, who are often um, humorous and who are often given this kind of like sometimes bumbling, but there's always a lot of pathos in these, in these characters. Um, and I'm thinking specifically of um, Jessica Fletcher's sheriff friend. Um, Played by the great Tom Bosley. The great Tom Bosley. I can't remember his actual character name. I should have. I didn't think about talking about him until you mentioned Jessica. But you know, he's the perfect example of this kind of lovable but slightly inept, a little bit bumbling um, cop who's just trying to do the right thing in a little small town with a little small mind, and he needs the help of um, Jessica to kind of actually help him solve these crimes. The weird thing about Murder She Wrote is that I don't think I've ever ever actually watched the episodes with her in Cabot Cove, like solving the local murders. I always stumbled across the episodes when she's out on a book tour or just out and about, like <laughs> just in, in New York City or in Europe or, you know, whatever. There's always like a parlor at the end. Like I've always seen those episodes. So I've actually got no real context for how the show generally really operated. I always just thought like the special episodes. I don't know why there were so many. Um, Cabot Cove is a dangerous place to live. That's <laughs> for sure. Like, there's a lot of murders in that place for a small town. Definitely risky. So, but, you uh, know, uh, just before we go into like talking about like the comedic aspect of it, I just wanted to maybe just sort of have this as a slight entry point into that, which is talk about cop shows. Sure. There's a very easy when you think about a cop show, you think about something like Law and Order, you think about Hill Street Blues, you think about the very traditional cop show. But cop shows also have a lot of other genres that they kind of fall into, things that don't necessarily explicitly focus just on police, but still have a lot of the same trappings and problems that cop shows have. So you've got a lot of sitcoms, you've got uh, things like superhero shows. These are definitely cop shows. You can't really avoid that. Yeah. Uh, you've got things like private investigator shows, you've got courtroom dramas. A lot of these have aspects of the cop show that are incorporated into the DNA of these programs. So when we start talking about this, just realize this is a very broad genre. Yeah, that's right. I mean, um, one of the things that we had a bit of a that I had a bit of a struggle with with uh, a band I was in recently, we played, um, we we recorded a song that was the acronym ACAB, and you know we were going through a lot of those kind of discussions at that point, and we were also big fans of Brooklyn Nine Nine, and at that point, and this this turned into a big conversation about you know, well, yes, Brooklyn Nine Nine is very very funny, it certainly goes out of its way to humanize these cops in a way that. Um, and in a way that all, all cop shows do, but it's done in this very funny, you know, 
it, it's 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 almost insidious the way that you're um, drawn into like really liking the characters the way you really could relate to them the way they're flawed in ways that aren't necessarily due to their policing and um, everything to do with their policing is always above the books and they're a brilliant police and the cops and the criminals are always you know faceless nameless kind of uh characters that just get that are just there for the they're just props really for the jokes. And even though it's such a lighthearted show and something that's really, uh, you know, based in this kind of modern ensemble comedy, a la Parks and Recreation, The Office and all these things that we love, it's it, you can't get past the fact that it has this very overt um, police, f- friendly police propaganda aspect to it. Okay, can I play a clip here that I think gets to the heart of what I see as the big problem with Brooklyn Nine-Nine? So, do you recognize any of these men? I was hiding in the bathroom stall, so I didn't see his face, but I heard him. He was singing along to the music at the bar. Do you remember what he was singing? I think it was that song, I Want It That Way. Backstreet Boys, I'm familiar. Okay. Number one, could you please sing the opening to I Want It That Way? Really? Okay. You are my fire number two keep it going the one desire number three believe when i say number four i want it that way tell me why ain't nothing but a heartache tell me why ain't nothing but a mistake now number five literal chills it was number five number five killed my brother oh my god i forgot about that part so yeah you come to the end of it where suddenly the reality of what the entire genre that they're playing with is brought into the hijinks of the program and while it's definitely played there as a joke and i think is definitely like it came from the first season of the show as well so i feel that was the writers of the series saying hey look we understand the world that we're playing with here and we are going to acknowledge it here and there But that's as far as that really ever goes with the program. Like it will say, hey, look, we're dealing with some life and death issues and we're squeezing that on top. But very rarely is the actual reality of the engagement between police and the criminals really addressed thoroughly. And when it is, it's always in a fairly joking way with uh, like Peralta with, uh, what's the actor's name from The Office? Uh, Craig Robinson in like a recurring role where it's like a bromance between him and this criminal And, like, it's very much played for jokes, which, fair enough, it's a sitcom, but at the same time, this is also a show that likes to dabble around in the real-life grit of policing as well, and to not really address it in an honest way. I think it's definitely become a bit of a focal point for people as they're concerned about this conversation with the police. So look at this show saying, well, look, you just play it completely for laughs, and there's some really serious issues, and you're kind of just making it as a overly friendly, and it's... You called it propaganda. I don't think it's maybe quite propaganda, but you're definitely left with a lot of warm and fuzzies about the characters and role that they play on the show. Yeah, and it's it's a very sort of shallow level of self-awareness, isn't it? Where it's kind of like, yeah, we know what we're doing, but we're not really going to try very hard with it. And we're going to acknowledge it every now and then with these little very um, easy jokes like that. But in, in the main part, really, we're just still going to use it as a backdrop. And I certainly didn't mean it is intentionally created as um, propaganda, um, by the US police department or, you know, or anything like that by um, the federal agencies to try and make people like their cops more. But it, it still does has a have result a, um, that's very similar. 
Yeah, that's right. The end, the end thing that comes out of it. And because, of course, you need your characters to be likable, especially in one of these kind of shows. So you're going to try and make them as likable as possible and you're going to not focus on the, um, the things that are obviously controversial about the policing decisions that get made all the time. It also made me think of like, a, you know, like Reno um, 9, is it Reno 911? Yeah. Um, the, which was before Brooklyn Nine-Nine, has a bit more of that reality kind of thing. But I think, you know... I mean, that was almost a direct parody of cops to a certain degree. Yeah, but it definitely... Um, the, the way they sort of delved into the characters a little bit more, I think, set up the way for Brooklyn Nine-Nine. There's no way they weren't looking at that when they looked back on that, um, when they started producing that program. Uh, and, yeah, you could sort of see that start to happen more and more. I think the yeah there's this thing where they're not really bumbling inept cops in um brooklyn 99 which is another thing that i think separates them from a lot of these other shows where um people are going to um where we're discussing police and actually this leads me into a segue for we were gonna you can please feel free to course correct me here but if we're going to talk we were going to mention our top three favorite cop shows each from the history of police television and i think this sets up perfectly for one of mine if we're going to do it that way yeah can i just sort of pose one thing just to lead from brooklyn 99 is all the other cop conversations we're going to have which is that and brooklyn 99 is like the perfect sort of template as the tv show which is kind of well-meaning but also hasn't really thought things through as you know hasn't really embraced i guess maybe the reality of the situation versus uh, sort of building upon the tropes and everything that we kind of think about with cop shows like Brooklyn Nine-Nine is a response to cop shows. It's not a response to real-life policing is maybe yeah. the sort of things to think about it. The question that I think maybe sort of sits at the heart of every single cop show is why is this a cop show? Okay, like it's why are you telling the story? Why is it important for this to be told through the viewpoint of police? And so when yeah. you are telling a story through the viewpoint of police, you actually need to take things to the end level, which is actually talking about the system of policing you can't necessarily just sort of play off it as, you know, these are the tropes of police. You actually need to tell a story about police. So as we go through our shows, I want to maybe just keep that question in mind. Why is this cop show actually about cops? <laughs> is it actually fundamental to the storytelling narrative, the structure, the bones of the program? But anyway, Chris, you're going to talk about your favourite. All right, here we go. We're going to start with one anyway. So I, I've really only got two. The third one will be a thing. I found it really challenging. I wanted to talk about... I wanted to have really good reasons to talk about the shows that I wanted to talk about. And I wanted to not just be things that I've wasted countless hours of my life on, which there has been many um, police shows, especially, you know, I had a, a few few years of my life where I watched nothing but Law and Order, basically, <laughs> and very much enjoyed that period of time. And Sorry, um, which, the way those shows like, when was this roughly that you were watching a lot of it? Let's say late 2000s, I reckon, around 2000 and eight 2009 mostly because of circumstance living with somebody who was really into watching those shows and then being <laughs> on foxtel 24 7 but getting right into them around that period you know like um and really becoming kind of fanboy about law and order and the way that it was made and really enjoying the um the structure of the program which is fantastic you know um and the kind of flat dryness with which it's all approached but anyway i, I haven't put one of them but the, the first show i wanted to mention was um the uh 1980s television show police squad you know what chris fortuitously i have a clip of police squad right here yes i'm captain frank brevin i understand you had a pretty rough time yeah it was pretty bad cigarette yes i know <laughs> well, do you feel Classic. like doing any questions i'll try 
Where were you when all this happened? I was right here at my desk working. And when was the first time you noticed something was wrong? Well, when I first heard the shot, and as I turned, Jim fell. Uh, he's a teller, Frank. A Jim Fell's a teller? No, Jim Johnson. Who's Jim Fell? He's the auditor, Frank. He had the flu, so Jim filled in. Phil who? Phil did, and he's the night watchman, Frank. Fully <laughs> Phil had been here. Right, now, wait a minute. Let me get this straight. Twice came in and shot the teller and Jim Fell. No, he only shot the teller, Jim Johnson. Fell is ill. Okay, then after he shot the teller, you shot twice. No, I only shot once. Twice is the hold-up man. Then I guess I did shoot twice. Well, so now you're changing your story. No, I shot twice after Jim fell. You shot twice and Jim fell? No, Jim fell first, and then I shot twice once. Well, who fired twice? Once. Now, he's the owner of the tire company, Frank. Okay. Police squad doing a bit of who's on first <laughs> business right there. And uh, doing it well. Um, I just was looking at the police squad. Did you know two of the six episodes of Police Squad were directed by Joe Dante? I actually did know that. It's uh, amazing. What's, what's fascinating watching the old Police Squad show, and you can find I think all of it on YouTube. Like it's just been uploaded there, and no one's you know everyone's looking the other way. I'm pulling it down. Uh, but when you watch it, like so many of the jokes just got reincorporated into the Naked Gun films. Like particularly that first film, it's just essentially almost every joke from Naked Gun is taken directly from the TV show. And I'm yeah, okay with totally. that. Totally. Yeah, and this, um, you know, it has that sort of uh, uh, like we're definitely laughing at the cops in Police Squad. So this is one of the reasons I wanted to talk about. I mean, obviously, it's hilariously funny. Um, the the film, I think, oh no, Airplanes before this. So you know, Airplane Flying High in Australia is the funniest film ever made. Um, arguably and um with all due respect to top secret hey what's that with all due respect to top secret yes exactly you know top secret definitely setting the um standard of of how that's all done but um you know to turn that then into a tv show and to make the joke the butts of the butt of the joke of the show is the police and even you know the most bumbling police officer in the history of police shows uh frank drevin is still able to um you know, solve the crimes, get the thing happening, uh, as he, as he always does, and uh, that's kind of, I think, a bit of an insult to cops as well, which is great. Um, O.J. Simpson, of course, appeared in the Police Squad TV show as well as the film. He wasn't uh, in the TV show; he was just in the films. Was he? Yeah. Oh, you're right. Yes. Because um, yeah, he played was the a character of uh, Norbert. Norberg. Norberg. Norberg, yeah. But there's a different, there is a Norberg in the TV shows, but it's a different actor. Yeah, also, you don't um, ever see Norberg's face. He was like a really tall guy. Ah, uh, yes. If I'm getting course. my characters right, it's been a good 20 years since I've watched it. <laughs> yeah, me too. Um, so, anyway, look, I, I, I just thought that was a fun place to, to start because I think, you know, that's Brooklyn 99 and, and others have their roots in this kind of like, we can laugh at police and we can laugh at the way they're done. And, um, you know, obviously, Frank Drevin's a very likable character as well but the level of absurdity of the whole thing definitely removes it from real life in a way that i think a lot of other shows don't so yeah i asked you just yesterday when we were talking about doing this initially just to jot down what your favorites were so police squad what else did you have in mind well this is controversial but this is police adjacent i would guess more than anything else but what about get smart how do you see get smart fitting into the is that is is, is, is it too spy focused look i think it's absolutely like considered a police show so i mean when i think about cop shows as well one of the things that i was thinking about is the show 24 
And so yeah. 24 is absolutely a cop show. Like it fits so many of the requirements, even though that's dealing with, I guess, Homeland Security, even though that's 24 predates Homeland Security as being a division of the US government, but it's still yeah. kind of a very similar sort of a thing. Uh, and like, I was thinking about 24 specifically as a show, which is, look, it's highly problematic. Like when you watch the show, like they're dealing with interrogation tactics, which, uh, you know, I think everyone looks upon badly. But when you're watching that show, there's something that a TV show does that you're not necessarily addressing the real life ramifications of what's happening in the show, but you're buying into it as a reality for this show. So look, I love yeah. the show 24. I think it is a rolling great hour of television. And I think I've watched every incarnation of 24. And there's definitely terrible episodes of 24 and there's good episodes of 24. That's sort of within the um, spectrum of what is considered a good episode of 24. And it's hugely entertaining. But also the politics of that program in no way represent anything that I necessarily believe should happen <laughs> in real life. But I'm willing to buy into it for the experience of watching 24. There are joys coming from it because it's kind of a fantasy world that's been created. And something that I was thinking about is 24, I think, takes on a lot of the hallmarks of, and like the language of film rather than TV. It's definitely serialized in a way that TV is. But when I think about TV versus film and what you're getting from both, when I think about film, film is kind of the idea of presenting people's dreams and aspirations on screen. Whereas I feel that TV is a little bit more reflective of reflecting reality back at viewers. So when you look at mo mm. most TV shows, and it's purely because of the way that production takes place. So a script for a TV show usually ends up being written and finalized just a few weeks before it's filmed and broadcast. Like the time frame is usually not more than just a couple of months, if not like days at times. Like it's a really sort of quick turnaround on a lot of content. As opposed to films, which are things that usually gestate for, you know, two to three years, if not 10, 15 years by the time they actually get into production. Mm. Like, these are things that actually spend a lot... People are sort of looking at sort of broader ideas than just necessarily reflecting back what's happening in the world at the time. So you think about, say, 24, and that kind of operates in a similar sort of milieu uh, to things like, say, maybe like the Lethal Weapon movies, which are I was going to say Die Hard, yeah, right? Die Hard, um, you know, the Dirty Harry films, things that kind of necessarily don't necessarily represent the way the audience feel about real-life policing, but at the same time, like there's suddenly a wish fulfillment aspect to it. There's kind of like the the dream, the sort of world that you're willing to fall into as opposed to the world that actually speaks to your actual world. Yeah, yeah, that's very that's very interesting. And uh and I gets, would definitely Smart kind of falls into that a little bit as well. Yeah, and I'd only just sort of like, you know, it's another comedy, and I'm not gonna just talk about comedies, but I also think that um I guess that also concentrates on the kind of the bumbling cop making or the bumbling detective making everything happen um, despite their ineptitudes, which is a fun thing. But the other show that I really want to talk about, and this is, I mean, I haven't really revisited, I obviously haven't re revisited it in this context and there'd be a lot of different ways to look at it, but there's obviously a lot that we can say about The Wire. Um, now, this is a show that really, I was thinking about it last night in the, way, the best way to talk about it, but it's, you know, where The Wire is one of the only shows where the story is not just sympathetic to the criminals, but it actually tries to explain somehow this works. The Wire really tries to look at the criminal justice system holistically and where it comes from 
where the crime comes from, why is there crime in a way that, that I don't think any other shows have really done. And the thing that's really interesting about The Wire, I think, with McNulty as the protagonist, as the star and as the hero, is that um, McNulty himself is, by the end of the show, oh, you know, he, he's a rogue cop for the, for the duration of the show, really, but by the end of the show, he has to actually... Um, you know, subvert the entire legal process. He uh, fabricates evidence. He does all this crooked cop stuff in order to get to a result that he sees as justice for these people that are being, um, you know, for, for this for this huge amount of crime that's happening uh, in which the police and in which government and in which, um, you know, high-level government are complicit. I can't think of anything that really. I mean, the wire also looks at the way the media inf influences um, well, the, policing. The wire is really fascinating in that the entire conversation that's happening around defund the police. So, defund the police as a concept isn't necessarily that all money should be stripped away entirely from the police. Like, I think everyone acknowledges that there's certain elements of policing that needs to continue. But so much of what police officers do is stuff that really the money shouldn't go into the police doing it. It should be going into other systems to take care of it. So things like, Absolutely. you know, pumping money into mental health, pumping money into just all the other things that lead to crime taking place. And I mean, that could be research. It could be actually dealing with people going through, you know, various sort of traumas of whatever degree that actually ends up leading them to commit crimes and keep perpetrating crimes going forward. There's so much ways that the system can be broken down. And when you look at The Wire, the entire structure of that TV show is set up to talk about the system and the systemic failures that happen at every point that end up leading to what's effectively taking place in the first season. It's almost like they look at the first season saying, hey, look, this is what people think about when they think about modern day crime in America. But then as they grow it out season by season, you see this way that the system's failing people. And if you like watch the entire show as a whole and then went from like season five backwards through to season one, suddenly it's like, oh, well, this actually makes perfect sense. I understand why all of this is happening. Yeah, it, it attempts and succeeds in, in a lot of ways to really try to pull apart um, what is exactly going wrong with the way um, modern policing is happening in America. And, it, and it's interesting too, it does it in a way where we are sympathetic to the cops. Um, some fantastic, uh, you know, most of the police in it are characters who um, are relatable and who are, you know, at least invested in trying to do the right thing. Um, but likewise, most of the... Um, Likewise, most of the, uh, you know, quote unquote criminals are in, are in a very similar situation where we're really given a lot of time and space into looking at their motivations. I think looking at the way the media um, intersects with how perceptions about not only policing, but crime and also how that should be dealt with um, is fascinating as well in this. And then just the actual, um, you know, it, it, it goes very hard on um, the ideas of, you know, how much of it is racially driven and how much racism is involved in the, the decisions that actually happen at a government level, you know. It's, uh, I, I can't think of another show that's sort of done it as very well. I'm not as familiar with um, Homicide, um, Life on the Streets, as what uh, you are, but I'd be interesting to hear, I'd be interested to hear your takes on how well you think that show looked at these similar kind of aspects. Okay, because the relationship between Homicide, Life in the Street, and The Wire is actually incredibly interlinked. But before we do that, let's listen to a clip. What do you observe about the suspect detective? Uh, let's see, approximately 5'10", 150. He's got uh, scratches on his left No, 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 no. 
The suspect is asleep. Oh, yeah, he's been in the room for four hours. Rule number four. A guilty man left in the box alone falls asleep. Huh. Are there any other rules? Yeah. Uncooperative, too cooperative, talks too much, talks too little, blinks, stares, gets his story straight, messes his story up. Mm. There are no other rules. It's an expression. Yeah, I'm here. So you're going to interrogate him? Interrogate him? Yeah, yeah. I'm just saying that, you know, not a partner thing, but uh, when you interrogate him, I'd like to sit in. Then what you will be privileged to witness will not be an interrogation, but an act of salesmanship, as silver-tongued and thieving as ever moved used cars, Florida swampland, or Bibles. But what I am selling is a long prison term to a client who has no genuine use for the product. Okay, so when you listen to that, you can kind of notice the difference between what people think about being the wire as being the wire versus homicide life on the street. Which homicide, for the fact that this aired in the mid not well, I think early nineties, I think ninety three was the first year uh, homicide came out, and this is one of these sort of great troubled shows in that it came out for I think a run of six episodes initially, and then there's like four episodes in the next season, and then it started right. to get a little bit of traction, but it was never like a high rated show. And there was always the discussion that the reason why the show kept on being greenlit for subsequent seasons is because the head of the network's mother really liked the show and she'd get upset if it got cancelled. <laughs> but, you know, God bless her for having good taste because, like, it really was, I think, definitely one of the best shows of the 90s. And in my list of uh, favourite cop shows, like, this is actually number one. The difference between the show and The Wire is the amount of um, style that Homicide has. Like, it definitely feels more like traditional TV to a certain degree, even though this is a show yeah. that rejects a lot of the tropes and ge general mold of television, like it doesn't look and feel like any other TV show that came before it. You could maybe look a little bit towards like Hill Street Blues as like the inspiration for the show, but even so, like Hill Street Blues feels so much more episodically television than what Homicide Life in the Street does. It tells episodic stories, but it strips away a lot of the artifice of, you know, four to five act story being taken, uh, taking place over the hour, and instead it's very much about the conversations the cops are having on their way to like solving a crime and how that's actually having an impact on them. If you want to look at the real-life impact that policing is having on the characters, like this is probably the show to watch. But at the same time, like it's also television. Like There's an element that you know the characters will be okay and they'll be back the next week. And other than like the occasional sort of death that might happen on the show or a character being drummed out of the police force in that very special episode... Like, it's still, it's traditional TV, but just done in a very sort of bare-bones manner. And it's like, you can see how it definitely set the way. They're both created by David Simon, right? Both by David Simon. And like, where Homicide probably has a bit more authenticity than The Wire does, is that David Simon was a journalist working for the Baltimore Sun. He wrote a book, it is Off Hours, and it was a book called Homicide, A Year on the Killing Streets amazing book like it's essentially him doing ride-alongs with all the homicide detectives and you know getting a feel for what's what these guys are actually up to and not just the crime but really the day-to-day -day lives of these guys and so that book was adapted into this tv show to the point where a lot of the conversations in the first few episodes of the show are directly lifted out of the book like i wow. kind of feel that clip that we just played then might have even been like a real life um thing that david simon had heard one of the officers sort of monologue about wow 
Yeah, and I mean, obviously, his perspective there is very interesting because he's um, gotten gotten to know the police, and he has that sort of. Uh, so he has a bit of a sympathetic uh, side to them, but he's also removed enough that he's not actually. Uh, following the idea ideology of policing and you know he doesn't have to tell it from that idea of uh, I am a I am a police but he's been so close to them that you get a very interesting insight which I think is vital for how he was able to kind of look at the different sides of the story in the wire and what's great about homicide life on the street is that I can't think of many tv shows that was such a traditional like mainstream drama that's so predominantly african-american like, you watch the show, and yeah. almost the entire cast are African-Americans working in the police force. A couple of white people sort of sprinkled through, but it's a predominantly African-American show. But when you think about Homicide Life in the Street, you don't think of it in the same way as a lot of the, like, 90s African-American sitcoms of the time. Like, it really is just yeah, considered sure. a mainstream drama and not really ghettoized in the way that those other shows are. I think, um, is it time that we switch to talk about... I mean, the, the, I think the most important development out of all this kind of stuff is that after 36 years or whatever it is the tv show cops has been cancelled this is something unprecedented right yeah so cops look i've noticed the conversation surrounding cops has just been really interesting where most people who kind of get what cops is about are like well you know good news like cops should totally have been cancelled but then there's all the other people who are like well it's kind of a shame to see it go and i think it's purely because this becomes sort of television wallpaper for a lot of people like people think about cops and they think about just the show as a general entertainment but don't really think about the real-life ramifications of what the show was doing. Not only is this a show that had the police in a very cozy relationship with the media, where the police are literally shown driving around and highlighting the worst, like, just the worst of humanity from what they're going. Like, essentially what the show would do is it would focus on low socioeconomic areas, where there's obviously going to be sort of greater crime taking place, crime being taken place by people who aren't particularly well-educated, like, don't really know... Uh, what they're dealing with when the media actually get involved in them. So you've got some sort of low-level criminal who's done something horrible, and there's all sorts of systemic reasons why that crime's even been committed that the show definitely is not going to address at any point. But, it's definitely not interested in But it. the question is, like, why is this person who's, you know, just done this, you know, real low-level crime and it's just like a bit of a dirtbag person, why are they even, like, signing a release form to appear on this TV show? And then you learn about the practices that the TV show had to actually sort of enable this. And then there's the cops themselves who become sort of mini like celebrities. Like there were cops conventions where you could go and meet the real life cops from cops. And like they were seen yeah, as complete wow. stars where that's really completely antithetical to what the show is supposed to be, what it presents itself as being, which is a real life examination into what's going on in the streets. Even though it's like this confected idea of what's happening on the streets, there's over-representation of people in minorities as opposed to all the many like dirtbag whiteies that were also being arrested at the same time. Yeah. Like you never see these guys being arrested. It's always just purely people of color. And it's and when you do, they're like unbelievably poor white trash. Yeah, know, really coming from the terrible backgrounds and you know terrible situations themselves too. It's a, it's a definitely not focusing on any kind of you know middle class crime or heaven to think white collar crime look absolutely and when you think about what they're actually doing on the show which is they're creating heroes out of these cops and so the cops are playing a cop's persona rather than actually being like the actual real life police officer they're amping up yeah. the amount of aggression that they're showing like there's definitely a way that they play it to be you know heroes on the show cops as opposed to really showing how policing works so after 33 seasons thank god that show's gone because it really is the worst of television and like, I even think about, you know, I'm not sure if I'm on the right track, but you know, like 
the Phil Natural Born Killers had jokes about the, the cops TV show, and it was more about that sort of hard copy kind of style of reporting. But it also had a, like it also had that element. Like people have been aware that this is a horrible way of going about um, presenting crime, and you know the, the role of the police for a very long time. It's amazing that it's kind of come around. It's it's amazing to see that sort of starting to fall now, and people really getting sick of it. I think that um, Running with Cops podcast um, that we discussed. On this, I'm pretty sure we discussed it on the on this podcast. I don't think we point. did it on the podcast. I think we were just talking about it on Facebook maybe the other day. Oh yeah, right. Um, and just when we were actually hanging out socially, back remember when we used to do that? Uh, but yeah, that's, that limited series. I think it's about ten episodes or something, right? And it really gets into the nitty gritty about um, just some of the practices that they used, uh, some of the deceitfulness that was used. One of the great, one of the things that stuck into my memory, one of the great memories of that podcast was that um, they would often be uh, the, the criminals or the people that were arrested were often um, signing the releases, believing that because it was called a release, that was what they needed to sign to get released from the police. Like just this kind of like insane amount of deception that went on in order to get these people's faces on there. And then once, of course, it's on TV, it's there forever and they can't do anything about it. Look, absolutely. And not only is there a problem with the actual production itself, but also there's a whole generation of uh, people who've grown up looking at these police on the show Cops as behaving in the way that police should. And so you've got people who are actually entering the police force who behave and operate in the same way as the people on Cops because they kind of think that's, you know, it's kind of like the role that you're playing. Well, six months of police training doesn't compare to 30 years of watching Cops, you know, as you're growing up or 20 years of watching Cops. As you're no, exactly. Because that stuff just embeds in your mind. But have you ever seen the film Magnolia, the Paul Thomas Anderson film? Yeah, of course. Yeah, one of the main characters in that is a character who is inspired by Paul Thomas Anderson watching the show Cops a whole lot and, like, mimicking the cops on that. And the idea of that character is that it's someone who'd been spending, you know, the sort of latter part of his teenage years watching Cops. And so when it came to choose a profession, like, he went off and did that. And so he's just being a dude from Cops. It's weird how in the last few years, uh, the, the the cops sort of the fervor around cops got to such a point. Like I don't know, I don't know why it became relevant enough again that we got that new TV show, which was the which was basically Cops Live. Yeah, it's called Live PD. So it's called Live PD. It airs on A and E on Friday and Saturday nights, and basically it takes the idea of cops with cops driving around in their car, you know, just pulling people over, and adds the actual reality in that you're watching it live. So they choose specific neighbourhoods and areas where they know they're going to get a whole bunch of um, low socioeconomic, um, you know, crime taking place. And just to like follow it live for like two hours on a Friday and a Saturday night. Rates it socks off, it does remarkably well, but the exact same problems that exist within COPS are just echoing through this live program. And if anything, it's even worse because you don't have really the opportunity for someone who's got their wits about them to not sign the release because it's going out live. <laughs> And it's like the ur urgency around trying to actually make a story happen uh, would obviously ramp up the enthusiasm and the bravado of the cops in question. Yeah, it's all gross as. Now, just... So, yeah. PD, like, it's also being cancelled, right? So uh, okay, so well. when we talk about cops and live PD as being cancelled, they're cancelled, but in a really rubbery way. Right. Okay, so, like, they've been cancelled, but quite easily in two to three years' time when, you know people have maybe moved on to other conversations, there's a way for those shows to come back and they'll just be as nasty as they probably ever have been before. Because ultimately, no one wants to see the proper version of policing. Like, it's not actually good television. <laughs> like, proper television, uh, like, proper policing is a lot of paperwork being done. It's a lot of, you know, just background, like, conversations happening. It's not exciting television. You can't condense that down to a half hour. 
No. Yeah. Absolutely not. Yeah. Um, so just briefly, I thought maybe let's talk about some of the good cop shows from over the years. Because the, set- sure. the thing is, and I don't really want to lose this in a conversation about cop shows. There's a reason we watch cop shows, because they're fun to watch. And, you know, there's suddenly a lot of joy that you can get from them. But when you start thinking about your favorite cop shows, you can also think about, well, what could the show have done? Or what can the show do if it's still something that's in production? That could actually maybe address some of the problems, because I don't think we should get rid of cop shows entirely. So, I mean, like, think about Brooklyn Nine-Nine. There's nothing really inherently wrong about Brooklyn Nine-Nine existing. But sometimes the characters on the show just needs to be asking some actual questions about what they're doing. So, you know, should we be doing this? Is there a better way of doing this? And you can't really say those questions are too heavy for a comedy because the show purposefully sets itself in the world of police. So they actually need to explore the morality of their day-to-days. And, like, not every show as well needs to go out there and, like, explore these issues on, like, a regular basis. But there still needs to be acknowledgement of it. It still needs to be part of the world. And if you go back to that fundamental question of why are you telling a story set around the police, it's because every story about police is effectively a morality play. So, like, yeah. why did the people get into the situation? What did they do once they got there? How do they try and get out of it? Like, those are the three questions that every cop show really has, like, at its heart. And if you've got a cop show, like, and they're not really exploring the systematic problems that lead to that, they're not really, they're not really being truthful with their viewers. They're not really exploring the real issues around policing. Like, these shows, they need to start interrogating their own systems with, like, some sort of regularity. And the shows need to acknowledge the systematic failures. Like, sometimes the characters need to see funding go to the wrong places. They need to see characters look the other way on bad cops. And what are the ramifications of that? And why are the characters doing it? I don't think every character needs to be a hero and then suddenly rat out, like, their entire department. But they need to discuss the fact that, no, this is a problem that exists within the department. And what are the parts of the system that lead to this happening? And you don't, you can do this in an entertaining way. Because TV, ultimately, is an entertainment. Like, it can't be a polemic every week. But if these characters aren't addressing these questions and aren't thinking about that and aren't talking about the broader aspects of policing, then like they're not really getting to the core of that idea of the police thing, which is why are you telling the story? Like, also, I mean, just that idea of why did people get into the situation? What do they do once they got there? How do they try to get out of it? That applies just as much to the police as it does to the criminals that they're investigating or prosecuting. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, we got to remind ourselves and our listeners that we're, you know, we're a very lighthearted thing here. We're, we're talking about television. We're not, we're not um, usually investing ourselves in these kind of um, big conversations and we're certainly not trying to uh, make uh, suggestions about what actually needs to be done with um, policing because obviously that would be a whole other thing in another, uh, you know, something I'd like to have some conversations with, absolutely, oh, with also, people who know what they're talking about. I, I don't know. Like, I don't know what the answers are for a lot of this. No, no. And, and I think a lot of people don't. But what we, you know, but I think it is important that, yeah, we're looking at the, this massive pervasive influence in our, in our lives and in our viewing thing. And, and yes, of course, um, those kind of shows are going to continue in the future. And yes, is there a better way to look at them? And I think... I think there's some really easy things like just what you've talked about there. Here's my prediction. Can I give it to you? Yeah, sure. What do you um, got? Law and order, internal affairs. Okay. Why so have... the guy who runs SVU, his name's Warren Light. He's actually proposed that idea a number of times and he can't get it up. But I'm wondering yeah, if maybe, right. the, maybe the time's right for that to actually start happening. But I also don't think it should come under the law and order banner. If I'm Dick Wolf, I don't think I'd actually want that to be a law and order show but I think they should be addressing that stuff within the existing framework of the show. Why is that, Dick? <laughs> it is basically because I think an entire show dedicated to that in the Law & Order universe 
kind of uh, cuts out the feet from the other characters that you've got in all the other franchised shows. So I think that a character can explore these issues because they've come across another cop doing it. But essentially, I think from a viewing perspective, if there's a show called, uh, what, what did you propose it was called? Law and Order Internal Affairs. It's calling it IA. Uh, so like effectively, if it's IA, you start to think, well, you know, the heroes in the show that I've been watching who've been, you know, slapping around the guy in the interrogation room, why is it my favorite character being investigated by IA? Because they probably should be. And you know, and as a viewer, because you've watched television, that your favorite character isn't going to get wrapped up in IA and taken out because, you know, that's not really quite you know, how TV works. You're going to suddenly lose all of your favorite characters because of some <laughs> indiscretion at some point. It, it just kind of completely upsets the framework of the universe. But I think that, I think that the Dick Wolf shows have an absolute obligation to explore these issues within the programming. Like it's law and order, like they're investigating crimes of all sorts of descriptions. Like why at some point isn't a corrupt cop? Like why isn't a bad cop shooting? Why isn't it a cop committing a sex crime? Which certainly happens in real life. Like, this needs to be part of the narrative. And it's probably and more it's powerful also, for not being ghettoized into an IA show, but be part of the actual discourse that exists within the much broader Big Tent programs. Yeah, sure. So what is still... Do we still have regular... Do we still have regular Law & Order and we still have SVU? These are shows still getting made, right? I'm suddenly not sure about old school Law & Order. SVU suddenly still around. Let me have a look just quickly. But, um, you know, these, these shows were very, this was a very, uh, I, I feel like old school sorry. law and order is gone. So I don't think OGs around anymore. No, you're right. It finished in 2010. So then you've got special victims unit, which started in 99 and is still going. Yeah. Criminal intent went for a couple of years. Yes. by jury went for a couple of years. So most of the law true crime. Yeah. Most of the law and order shows have actually wound down, but the Dick Wolf sort of universe of shows is now doing a lot of things based in Chicago with the Chicago PD and, you know, uh, all the other sort of Chicago franchise programs. But then he's also got the FBI and then there's like another spinoff from that coming soon. And actually, no, there's another law and order spinoff coming, uh, this fall in the U S is the X-Files a cop show. The X-Files is a cop show. So this was my top three that I came up with. Excellent. I came up with homicide life on the street due south and the x-files and what i thought was interesting due is south. due south which is totally a cop show it's a canadian cop coming to totally. chicago what i thought was interesting about that and when i started thinking about all my favorite shows they were always things where it was a look at policing from like an external viewpoint so i mean the x-files is like a supernatural like cop show so it's hard to really look at the systematic failures that are like existing within the X-Files because really the X-Files was a single division that was set up by itself and, you know, whatever. I'm not going to bother getting into that. Uh, but I started thinking about, like, this is my list of, I'm just going to rattle off a whole bunch of shows that I came across that I thought were good ones and, like, maybe a conversational point to spring out from them. Uh, so I thought about Alias being a spy cop show, Baywatch Nights being a private investigator show, <laughs> uh, Police Squad, which you mentioned, Boomtown, which is a really interesting police drama shown from different perspectives. And while I don't think those perspectives were of that particularly interesting, I'd like to see Boomtown come back because I think with the idea of exploring it from the criminal's viewpoint as well as the um, like people in the system and looking at it from all sorts of perspectives, I think is maybe exactly the show that we need right now. Uh, a good Australian one was the Blue Murder uh, miniseries. Which yeah, is I had Blue Murder on my little list there too. Yeah. Um, East West 101 is another great Australian show. Uh, Bosch is one of my favorites at the moment, which is finishing its final season next year, I believe. Uh, Burn Notice, which is a spy cop show, effectively. Karen Sisko, which is uh, federal agents. Um, Chips, 
If you chips, think about yeah, uh, Ponch and was a kid. the other guy. Oh gosh, yeah. what was the other guy's name? Doesn't matter. Um, the Commish. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Forever Night, which is a vampire cop. <laughs> uh, you've got all the shows coming out of Scandinavian, like Scandinavian countries, all the Scandi noir shows, which are all high quality dramas and always investigate the murder of some teenage girl who's been found in some sort of a location. Uh, so, but like there's a whole bunch of good ones. Like The Bridge is probably my favorite one of those, but there's shows like The Killing, like there's like really great TV dramas that explore all sorts of interesting facets of various communities and cultures, but it's always through the framework of traditional police. And I guess maybe even when I'm thinking about these Scandi shows, which are really sort of exploring an interesting culture that we don't really get to see on TV much outside of this genre, and you think about the benefits that come with that, but at the same time, it's this very sort of traditional storytelling engine at the heart, which as the last couple of weeks of conversation have really unearthed, is really corrupt at its like, soul as well. So like, it's a genre I don't want to see gone, because I think there's so many benefits that come from police dramas, but at the same time, like these police dramas just need to be smarter about what they're saying along the way. Um, a, a few other things, uh, Millennium, which was that, um, like, x files sort of a spinoff. Miami Vice, mm. uh, the Police Academy yeah. TV series, let's never forget that. Uh, I didn't know it existed until about 20 minutes ago, but there you go. I'm, I'm sorry you missed out on... Actually, no, it's terrible. It is... <laughs> the movies are amazing in comparison to the TV show, and doesn't that say something? Uh, <laughs> you got shows like Twin Peaks and True Detective, uh, but the shows that I gravitate towards are probably not necessarily those shows that I've mentioned then but the shows that are, like, not a cop-cop shows. So these are things like the old-school Perry Mason show, not to be confused with the new Perry Mason show. Uh, there's The Good Fight, The Good Wife, Night Court, Murder One, Moonlighting, The Practice, The Rockford Files, Stumptown, Veronica Mars, Mission Impossible. These are all shows that are taking place, like, on the peripheral to cop shows. So while there's certainly elements of the cop show in them, a lot of the times they're interrogating what's gone wrong with policing and trying to get to the heart, the actual truth of what's taken place and where the discrepancies lie. And I started thinking about the British shows that I like because the British nah, shows have a lot of cop shows as well. Okay, but I don't generally tend to like British cop shows because I think they play all way too much like the US cop shows do. The ones I like are the ones that actually start to play around on the margins a bit more. So often they're sort of spy shows like Department S or The Sandbaggers or Jason King from back in the day more modern things like The Night Manager and Little Drummer Girl. Uh, but then you think about like things like, say, The Prisoner and Thunderbirds. These are all things that are ostensibly cop shows in one way or another, but either play around with the genre quite dramatically or are just so peripheral to what you think about being a cop drama. Then you've got like, superhero I... shows as well. So like, you know, Batman. Like, we wouldn't want to say goodbye to Batman 1966. Like, there's too much pure <laughs> well, West going on there to lose it. Uh, but then you got things like Lois and Clark or the Space Ghost cartoon or, you know, Spider-Man cartoon, like every Saturday morning cartoon you've ever seen. I don't think we want to see those go because these are all interesting morality plays, but they're not getting to the truth of the actual morality. Um, while you were on the British ones there, I just wanted to, of course, you know, I grew up watching The Bill, um, which is so <laughs> yeah. drama built around the police and um, was such an interesting thing to watch as a kid because it was so different to our idea of policing in Australia, even back then where... Um, you know, the police are, of course, they have no weapons. They um, operate on a much different uh, community level, uh, I think. And, you know, there was a lot of, uh, you know, it was soap and it was built around the relationships around the cops and obviously humanised them all a lot and stuff. But this was, a, you know, 
the bill has been on television for a very, 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 very long time. Um, and, you know, has been the cornerstone of sort of BBC drama for all that time. But that got me thinking about another show that I really did enjoy a few years ago, which was Life on Mars. Um, I don't know if you saw Life on Mars about the um, modern day cop who, uh, for reasons that I can't even remember if we're actually discussed in the show, um, woke up in 1970 something and had to, um, you know, in, in as part of a murder investigation and had to figure out why he was back in the seventies. And of course, you know, you get all these great little cultural fish out of water jokes, but the main thing that did was look at the way policing had changed and what it tried to examine was, yeah, the, the differences in kind of modern policing versus this rogue, uh, you know, style in the seventies where of course there was a lot less accountability. There was a lot more, um, there was a lot more, uh, playing by their own rules and all those kind of fun cop jokes and stuff. But it did, it did do a very, it tried its best to kind of look at the way that perhaps um, modern policing uh, was different to what it used to be um, pre-technology revolution. And dare I say, you know, some of the things that he enjoyed about the old style of policing and the new one, it certainly wasn't like coming from a completely ethically grounded place and, and doing anything like that. But it was one of the rare occasions where I think I've seen British TV and cop TV try to examine what's going on um, a little bit differently, even if it was historically. Did you ever watch that show? Look, I've seen both the British version and the American version. And the American version actually explained what was going on, which hey, boring. It, it did it in the most literal way possible, which I don't think the British one ever actually addressed it at all. But the last episode of the American one has this coda that they just slapped on the end when the show got cancelled. And you suddenly realise that the world that he travelled into, which I guess in the US one was still the 70s, it might have been the 80s, cops, I can't remember. But basically he was a astronaut who was on a mission to Mars, I think it was. And there was like the song Life on Mars played as a bit of a trigger for him. Yeah, ridiculous. That look on your face, that's exactly the, <laughs> that's the right look. <laughs> completely ridiculous but no you, you're right with the british one and what i think is interesting about the british one is that yes you're going back to the 70s and the way they were like policing back then but also in a way you could sort of look at that as a tv show going from being reflective tv to that idea of more like movies which is kind of like the dream idea of policing yeah like th there were some very broad yeah, characters definitely. doing some very sort of um Oh, like unscrupulous things, but also from an audience perspective, you're kind of cheering them on because you know that they're hitting around the bad guy. Whereas, yeah, totally. you know, modern day, you'd look at them hitting around the bad guy going, well, no, that's actually a criminal act that you're engaged in as well. Let's maybe not do that and still arrest the person. And they're very good at, you know, like they, they're very good at when when you're seeing this happening in a lot of these TV shows, you know, it's being presented, the, the, the people that they're hitting around and the, the, the truth that they're trying to get to is all, always some kind of hideous, violent crime against a woman or against a child or something. So, you know, you're getting played, you, you, you're being manipulated into rooting for the, um, for the protagonist who happens to be a crooked cop by virtue of personal decisions about what's, you know, what justice really is and what morality really is and you know the means to the end of all that kind of thing so yeah it's not without its that's not without its problems either of course <laughs> like that's a huge problem with it uh yeah so cop shows i think generally tend to gloss over like the realities of what's actually going on with the system of policing and look i think with the tv show generally any tv show wants you to relate to and engage with the characters on a way that you have like 
compassion or empathy, or you just want to, you know, essentially as a viewer, you want to ride along with that police officer. And like, that's kind of the joy of television because it can kind of take you into these worlds and let you have an established relationship with these characters. But at the same time, if you're going to be in a relationship with that character, the framework of that world that they've created needs to also operate in a way that's truthful to you. And I do think that too much as viewers, we're being taken on a ride and we're not necessarily being delivered a element of truth with that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. There's certainly not going to be a, you know, I don't think we're trying to come up with a proper, you know, this should be the direction of where police shows go or anything like that. No, and every show should be different as well. Like not every show needs to follow the same sort of morality playbook at all, but there just needs to be an acknowledgement. And I think that's what's missing. Now, what do you think? So what do you see happening? We've had some little chats about this off offline. Um, what do you see as kind of where TV is going to go? Because obviously people are very, you know, people have been very quick to react to all this kind of stuff. The TV stations, the, the movie studios, where are we going to see things in 12 months from now? What are the new shows that are going to come along? Okay. So if I was answering this question 24 hours ago, I would have said that TV show for the next two to three years, you're going to see less overt cop shows on the, t- on the air. So you might start seeing, you, you'll still see like superhero shows and like spy dramas and all that kind of thing. But things where there's, you know, the boys in blue, you're not going to see that kind of TV drama happen in the same way. So those shows will probably go away while they try to sort of work out what the lay of the land is and what the audience is necessarily receptive to. So that'll be one thing that you'll probably see take place. But I think existing shows will probably just try to be a bit smarter about how they integrate in like some of the systematic problems that I think are probably quite easy for all of these shows to start integrating into their stories. So like the Law and Order franchise types of shows, they're not going to go away. Like they're not going to cancel SVU like next year because, you know, suddenly it's not quite the show that seems sort of, uh, that audience was receptive to now because audience will keep watching these shows. Like that's not changing at all. So that's the answer I would have given 24 hours ago. But I was reading this morning a couple of roundtable conversations with some showrunners. And the conversational point that kept on coming up uh, time and time again with the couple of conversations I saw happening around it was just the idea that the problem really comes down to not just the writing room. So anytime that you've got a diverse writing room, people are going to come to that with different experiences and be able to shine a light on what's happening. If you throw me into a you know cop show writing room, I'm going to have some very sort of specific views where I can look at systematic failures in the same way that maybe David Simon did when he was writing The Wire. But if you're someone who has lived sort of with people who are part of a community who are constantly being targeted by police, your viewpoint's incredibly different. So the more that you actually get that sort of change of viewpoint taking place within the writer's room, the better. But it doesn't quite stop there. It also means that your networks need to be on board with the voices that are being brought to it. So a network will lay down some notes and say, hey, look, you know, we don't think this is realistic. What about this, this, and this? And if the majority of people that are sort of high up executives are the ones who are handing down these notes aren't necessarily coming from a a point of view of sort of diversity as well, then the sort of authenticity of those diverse voices are just going to get lost through the network notes and through what the network's willing to commission and go forward. So Hollywood, I think, is going to need to get better about getting a mixture of um, experience coming through at both a creative level as well as through executive ranks. And so that's probably where you're going to start seeing changes take place. And that would be for the better if they just become fairly um, glossy, like, insubstantial sort of changes happening to your latest law and order where every two to three weeks, you know, there's a bad cop that's featured on the show. 
that's not really going to change that much. And you're going to start seeing TV just go back to the way that it was. But I also think eyes have been open to a certain degree about this is an issue. And I don't think people are going to buy into it in the same way that they had. Yeah, it'll be very interesting to see how that pans out over over the time. And you're right, you know, we like we, it's not something we want to see disappear off our screens altogether. It's something that is actually important to be there, and it's an important going to be an important way to have uh, some conversations in the future if uh, the mantle is um, you know picked up in that way. Yeah, I mean, also just think about. I mean, TV needs heroes. Like, there's actually yeah. value in showing people doing the right thing, and like yeah. that often comes down to good versus evil, and often in good versus evil stories they become cop shows. It's kind of hard to avoid as a genre. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting chat, Dan. Am I, am I wrapping it up now? Does that sound like what, that's what I'm doing? Well, how about we wind out this conversation with a clip from The Simpsons, which I think maybe speaks entirely to all the problems that we've been discussing. And that's the drunk tank. And this is Mommy's desk. Mom, I know your intentions are good, but aren't the police a protective force that maintains the status quo for the wealthy elites? Don't you think we ought to attack the roots of social problems instead of jamming people into overcrowded prisons? Look, Lisa, it's McGriff, the crime dog. Hello, Lisa, help me bite crime. Ruff, ruff. That kind of mm. says it all, doesn't it? <laughs> yes, it absolutely does. <laughs> Now, Chris, very briefly, let's do this in like two minutes apiece. What have you been watching this week? Jeez, uh, I'm a bit side uh, swiped by that, Dan, because uh, I didn't actually, I can't actually remember. No, no, I have been watching some things. Um, I thought you were going to talk about one Dave Chappelle. Yes, yeah, that's exactly right. I wanted to talk about the Dave Chappelle um, 846 uh, special that's on YouTube. Incredible, incredible stuff. Um, seeing Dave be angry and wanting to get his, uh, you know, wanting to get a bit out there you know he apologizes to the it only goes for about 25 minutes he apologizes about 20 minutes in for it not being at all funny which you know in a lot of ways it really isn't but it's an incredible um ride watching him do it he has some incredibly uh personal perspectives on um some very big stories that happened including ones where he was involved uh, that i think are just communicated in such an excellent way dave chappelle is a very smart guy who um has always um, been a very interesting voice uh, for Black America. And I think, you know, especially for, with him coming from Ohio and then making it a very big in the city, I think he's got a very big, very big voice and a very big perspective and is one of the people that, you know, despite what he says, um, it should be listened to about this issue a bit. So, yeah, that's the Dave Chappelle uh it's on YouTube, right? It's That's on the right. Netflix channel on YouTube. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The Netflix is a joke YouTube channel. Yeah. 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 What um, about you, Dan? Look, I mean, I'd agree with that. Like I, the one thing that really struck me was this really isn't funny at all, but there's, no. th there's definitely an energy and he's got a strength of voice that you want to follow through. Cause he's got some interesting things to say along the way. He's not necessarily going to be right about everything, but I mean, Dave Chappelle will also be the first person to say he doesn't have all the answers. But also, he does purport to be a bit of a truth teller as well. And I do think he's telling truths while he's up there. Yeah. Uh, the thing I just want to talk about, and this is just on a very sort of similar sort of theme as well, is the Spike Lee movie, uh, The Five Bloods, which have you seen this yet, Chris? No, I haven't seen it yet. No, uh, basically, it's Spike Lee doing a... Look, I, I'd sort of say this flippantly, and I'm going to use the line here as well, and I don't know how fair it really is, but it's basically him doing Black Wild Hogs. Like, remember right. that terrible film, Wild Hogs, where you've got a whole bunch yeah. of, like, middle-aged uh, white guys going across the country on motorcycles? This is basically the black experience of that, which is five guys who were all in Vietnam together 
who have gone back to Vietnam with two purposes in mind. One, they're retrieving the body of a guy that was uh, part of their troop. But the other thing as well, and the real reason they're there, which is that when they were in Vietnam in the 60s, they also came across a large amount of gold. And so they've gone back to get the gold and bring that back under the guise of, you know, trying to return back the body. Uh, the thing is that in the years that have followed Viet uh, Vietnam, as well as some of the events that have taken place in Vietnam, it's definitely left a mark on all these characters and they're all coming from a very different perspective in life. Much the same way that you find in movies like Wild Hogs. <laughs> but where Wild Hogs is maybe a bit more interested in being a bit of a boomer orientated, you know, exploration as to what it means to, you know, be a man or a person, you know, at a certain age, this is very much also fills completely through that black experience and it takes you to some very unique places. And there's a lot of discovery that happens along the way. So I'm just trying to talk around as much of it as possible. But ultimately, if you come to it expecting it to be a fairly generic action drama, you're probably going to get that when you're watching it. But if you're looking at it for more of the sort of textual influences that Spike Lee tends to litter a lot of his movies with, I think you're going to find it to be a fairly deep, engaging, um, like actual meaningful experience watching this film. And I think my approach to it was kind of like somewhere in the middle where I was maybe taken aback at first at just sort of how generic a lot of it was feeling. Like, I, like I recognize some of the obvious influences that take place in it. So, like, at the very beginning, they go to a bar called Apocalypse Now, and then when they're going up, because the, they take a riverboat trip up the water, like, when that starts, uh, suddenly you're hearing, like, Ride of the Valkyries playing in the background, and there's a lot yeah. of homage to Apocalypse Now through it. So, like, that's suddenly present within it, but then also there's a lot of political influence taking place in there, there's a lot of other textual things. And I do recommend that maybe while you're watching the movie, also open up, like, I think every pop culture website had this, but some sort of guide to all the references taking place in the movie. Because the more you actually understand what Spike Lee's playing around with in terms of his text, I think the greater appreciation you'll have of this film. Like, it's so exceptionally clever, and I've got to go back and rewatch awesome. it, because I can't stop thinking about it. Yeah, right. I'll definitely get onto that. I've been meaning to do it for the last a uh, little while so yeah i'll definitely watch that this weekend it sounds awesome yeah no definitely do that. what are we going to do on the show next week uh next week we are going to solve all the problems with the judicial system excellent yeah. look forward to that so wait for that society is looking forward to that society is looking forward to it uh one final bit of housekeeping uh, on the show last week we wrapped up our quiz i got a bit of feedback on the quiz okay which uh, came from one of our listeners peter and he said that I quite rightly lost the quiz because I said I don't care for Doctor Who. So he was more than happy to see me taken out. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, whatever, Peter. I thought you were right before, but now I'm not so sure. Peter knows where the Daleks are from as well, I'll bet. Yeah, I've got no surprise. Yeah, that's totally on. <laughs> anyway, Chris, let's get out of here. I've got some cop shows to watch. Excellent. Actually, I have um, been... Yes. In, in the last week, I actually have been re-watching Homicide Life in the Streets, and it's surprisingly contemporary. Yeah, I'll bet. I, I should really um, dip back into that as well a bit. I've always wanted to rewatch The Wire, but it's quite a commitment. Yeah, there's a lot going on there. Anyway, Chris, let's get out of here. We'll be back next week actually talking about TV shows we've been watching. Sounds good. Yeah, we'll see you then. If you like the podcast, uh, tell your friends about it. Subscribe to our newsletter at alwaysbewatching.com. That's all I've got to talk about. We'll be back next week. It's been a good talk. <laughs> <laughs>